Good morning, Mercy Road. How are we doing in 2021? Who's glad that 2020 is over? We can admit that, right? That was a tough one. God's grace was with us, but wow, that was, that was a doozy. And who knows what God has for you, what God is going to do in your life and in the life of this church. God knows we don't, and our job is to cooperate with him. And that's why today we're starting a new series called Guard Rails. Guard Rails are a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. We've, we've all seen guardrails. This pulpit is made of a guardrail. There's a guardrail behind me. They're very heavy, and they're very effective. Uh, a few years ago, more than a few years ago, almost a decade ago, a good friend of mine on staff at the church I was working at said, you might consider doing a series we did at our church several years ago. A number of churches have done this series. It's called Guardrails. Initially, I was hesitant. You know, I, I like to write our own content, but I took a look at the content and I said, wow, this really is something I need. This is something I think everybody needs. And so we put our own spin on that. That was 10 years ago as I was preparing the, the preaching calendar this year with Pastor Chad and Pastor Tom in California, who we write messages with, we really came to this series and we said, 2021, after the year we've had in 2020, 2021 needs some guardrails. Guardrails are familiar to every one of us who drive on the road. They're a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. You, you see them on bridges, on medians, on curves. Anybody been to Glacier National Park in Montana? My favorite place and my favorite part in Glacier National Park, I think the most scenic part, is going to the Sun Road. Any been, anyone been on that road? It's amazing and it's a little terrifying because it's so steep of an incline and the views are so great. You have to pay attention to the road, but thank the Lord there are guardrails on the side of that because it would be very easy to be looking around and before you know it, you get one wheel off that road and you keep falling for a long, long time. The truth is, guardrails direct a vehicle, they protect a vehicle. But consider this, your greatest regrets in life may have been avoided if you would have established some financial, some moral, some relational, sexual, friendship-related guardrails. Guardrails are funny things because they're in the safe zone. They're actually taking up some real estate on the road, if you think about it. But nobody who drives with, with common sense complains about the fact that we are limited from not driving right up to the edge of that road. We, we don't complain about that. We're just grateful because guardrails minimize the damage and they direct us visually. It's easy to drive knowing that there's a little bit of a safety net there, knowing that Worst case scenario, you're going to chip some paint, but you're not going to drive off the cliff. Think about it. Nobody intends to wreck their marriage. Nobody starts out and says, do you know what I want to do? Wreck my physical health. Do you know what I want to do? I want to become an addict. Do you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to get so miserably in debt that I have no idea how to get out of it. Nobody, nobody grows up and says, I really, my goal is to get with the wrong crowd so that they can convince me to do the wrong thing over and over until my experience of life is just miserable. Nobody intends to wreck their vehicle when they get in the car. Guardrails are how we intend not to wreck those things. Guardrails are how we're careful. The Apostle Paul 
um, has a text that we're going to go to in Ephesians. But before that, I just want us to consider, as we get into this series, friends, we live in a culture that is not a fan of guardrails. Our culture doesn't like them because guardrails are a synonym, another word for rules, personal guidelines. And so if you establish guardrails in your life, and I pray you will, you're going to get some criticism, potentially. You know, our culture is a fan of painted lines. That's good enough. It's good enough to just have a general guideline. But think about it for a minute. What is a painted line? How about the phrase, drink responsibly? That sounds good. But the problem is if you drink too much, you may be hindered as to know what responsible drinking looks like. Or how about when it comes to sex, we tell our youth, wait until you're ready. In my experience, boys are born ready, right? A lot of junior high boys are like, yep, yeah, I relate to that. Wait till you're ready. A lot of girls too, right? How about this one? Consolidate your debts. Well, that sounds good, but that's not a guardrail. That's a painted line. Or maybe the the worst of them, whatever you do, follow your heart. Anybody here look back on the topography of their life, the sequences of regrets, and said, wow, I followed my heart right into that really bad decision, and I wish I could redeem the time and get that one back. Guardrails are the way that we are careful because we're told to be careful. The Mike Pence rule, have you ever heard of this? You probably heard of the Billy Graham rule, which preceded this. There's an example of just how culture is not friendly to guardrails. In the 1960s, Billy Graham became kind of infamous for having a rule that said because he's a married man, he chooses to have a personal rule. He's not telling everyone else they have to do this, but he's a high-profile evangelist. He said he personally will not go in an elevator with, a car ride with, out to dinner with another female other than Ruth. Ruth is his wife. And some people celebrated that, and some people criticized that as being too religious, too rigid, maybe not allowing women in his organization to advance because they wouldn't have the right access that a man would have. Fast forward to 2017, Mike Pence, our vice president, becomes infamous for implementing the Billy Graham rule. And Harvard Business Review did a, a scathing article on how could you, in our enlightened day, in, in our wise age where we know that, you know, we're past all that. How could you have such an archaic rule? Well, that same year, the Me Too movement started to just have ripple effects across our culture. And it was interesting to see some of the very people who criticized somebody like a Mike Pence for having such a rigid guardrail in place personally attack all the men who didn't have those guardrails. And as a culture, we were forced to step back and say, you know, guardrails aren't fun. They're not popular. They seem a little like rules, and we're Americans, and we don't like to be told no. But gosh, we wish that those men who hurt those women in the Me Too movement would have had some personal guardrails. And boy, do their wives wish that those men would have had the moral integrity and courage to establish some personal guardrails, even if it would have brought some criticism. Friends, if you establish guardrails in your life, financially, morally, relationally. You may be criticized. You won't be celebrated. But I promise you this. God's word promises you this. You will have fewer regrets. And you will live a life that glorifies God. A life 
directed and protected in the direction God wants you to go. And so it's my prayer as we enter this five-week series that we would learn about guardrails and have the courage to establish wise guardrails. One more uh, word of caution before we go to the text. This series is not a right versus wrong series. We do have some of that in Scripture where there's just some obvious stuff. Like, you know, adultery is kind of obvious. Like, wow, you're not my wife. You know, I know what my wife's look like. You know, that's, that's a sin. You know, like the, the big Ten Commandments, that's just kind of cut and dry there. This is a wisdom series. It's less about right and wrong and what is wise given my past, my present, and my preferred future, given what God wants for me in my life. So it will welcome us to become wiser human beings. The Apostle Paul, writing a letter to a church that he planted in Ephesus, just got done in the letter saying a bunch of stuff that everybody would have agreed with. Like, let's not let our lives be destroyed by greed and lust and deceit. Let's get along with each other and be a community of grace And they're all saying, yep, we agree with that, Paul. And then we get to the point that we'll be reading today, Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. And it's as if Paul is saying, and this is how you do that. This is how you do that. I'll read it from the NIV. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. He gives an example of a guardrail right at the end of this call to be very careful. And for the remainder of our time, we're just going to walk line by line through and examine what that means for your life and what it means for my life. Let's jump in. The first point, if you're taking notes, is simply the first verse, verse 15, be very careful then how you live, Paul says, not as unwise, but as wise. Be very careful. Guardrails are the way that we practically show that we're being careful, because who doesn't want to be careful, right? I have a good friend of mine, Brian Martin, he preached here several weeks ago, and him and his wife have this funny thing. When they leave the house, one of them leaves the house, they always say, make wise choices. It's kind of the way they flirt, I guess. Um, Pastors, we're nerdy, right? You know, the way that we flirt, very nerdy people. But I I think of him a lot. He's a guy who has a lot of guardrails in, in his life, some personal standards and rules that he doesn't impose on everybody around him. But he says, for me and for, for my family, my wife and I have prayed about this. This is a guardrail that we choose to put up. Why? Because scripture calls us to be very careful how you live. And then it brings this distinction. Not obsessed with a black and white world that this is right, this is wrong. This is right, this is wrong. No, be very careful, be very nuanced, be very thoughtful how you live living not as unwise, but as wise. We all know somebody, don't elbow them if they're next to you, that lives in an unwise manner sometimes, right? And if you're looking in the mirror long enough, you'll realize there have been times that you have lived in an unwise manner. If you drive home today and you see somebody driving obnoxiously slow on their phone, something will rise up in you and you will quote scripture and you'll be like, be very careful then how you drive, not unwise, but wise. That's holy road rage there. 
But Paul invites these people to do that, and he is inviting us to live very carefully. 2021 is going to come and go like this. And in one year, in 52 weeks, you will have the opportunity to look back, and so will I, and we will conclude, you know what? I didn't live that wisely. I wasn't that intentional. I just kind of let life happen. It's a funny thing when you just let life happen. You tend to not live wisely. You tend to live just reactively. You tend to drive on the road of life as if there are no guardrails. He goes on. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Another um, translation will render this redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. How many of us, especially those who are on the older spectrum, look back on the decades of our life and say, oh, I wish I had some of that time back. It's funny, you can look in your bank account and you know how much money you have. But you never know how much time you have this side of eternity. Think about that. Statistically speaking, in a church this size, with the first service, the second service, and the online community, there is a significant group of people, at least the size of a small group Bible study, that will not finish 2021. And we don't know who that is. Death can come at any time. We don't have to fear that if we accept the forgiving love of Jesus Christ, the fact that God became a human being, died on the cross for us to reconcile us with him. If you've accepted that, you don't have to fear death. But you should not live, I should not live, as if we just assume the next year is granted. We don't know if the next month is granted. And Paul knows this. He lives in a gritty part of human history in a very brutal Society where the life expectancy is literally half of what the American life expectancy is, and that life is full of toil and hardship, and mercy is not seen as a virtue, it's seen as a vice by most people. Violence is the norm. Might makes right. And Paul is writing to this culture, and he's saying, make the most of every opportunity, every opportunity that comes before you, because the days are evil. Now, that sounds pessimistic for, for us to say, really, the days are evil? Does it really? Were you, were you awake for the last year? Maybe, maybe in 2018 it would have sounded pessimistic to say the day, days are evil, but on the first Sunday of 2021, I don't think it's unrealistic to say the days are evil. When I was in the military, I had this lieutenant colonel I reported to, and he was obnoxious in this regard. He used a few phrases over and over and over at nauseam, and one of them was... Keep your head on a swivel, lieutenant. Keep your head on a swivel, captain. I would keep going up in rank and he'd still say the same thing. And that never fully made sense to me because we, he'd say this while we're in America, in the safety of, of a military base. And I, I understood what he meant. You know, be, have situational awareness. Look behind you and in front of you on the sides. And, and he'd always say things like, not all the knights are noble, lieutenant. Okay, I get it. Some people will hurt you. <laughs> Some people don't have good motives. But it wasn't until I got to an actual combat zone that those words really became profitable. Where in just a moment, multiple people that you, you, you know and you love are, are gone. 
and it wasn't fair, and it happened faster. It's as if Paul is saying, be realistic, my friends. You live in a spiritual combat zone. There is an enemy of your soul. Now, in America, a lot of American preachers shy away from this, myself included, because a lot of people say, you know, just don't focus on the devil too much. We don't want to overfocus, but there is a supernatural evil intelligence that would love to wreck your marriage in 2021. Let that sink in, husband and wife. There is a supernatural evil intelligence that would love to wreck your health, that would love to compromise your calling, that would love to wreak havoc in your relationship with your children, that would love for you, young person, to make frequent, unwise decisions that have painful consequences for you and your loved ones. Paul knows this. He says, the days are evil. Redeem the time. Make the most of the time. Be intentional. How do you do that? Guardrails. Guardrails. You establish personal codes of conduct that are in the safe zone. They're not morally sinful or wrong in of them in and of themselves, just like the guardrail is on the road, technically. It's not off the road, it's on the road. And you stay away from them. You don't go as far to the edge as you could possibly. You put something here so that it keeps you from going too close to the edge. That's how you make the most of your time. It's an interesting thing. The more I grow as a follower of Jesus Christ, the more I see God in the mundane details of everyday life. The tendency for us to think, we think like this. When I'm at church, I can see how God would want to use me. And, and I need to be careful to like, if someone looks lonely, I walk up to them and, and I say hi and I want to serve in kids ministry because that's intentionally shaping the next generation. And I want to do the Bible study thing midweek because that's a spiritual place and a spiritual time. But gosh, on, on Thursday evening, that's just my time. That's just what I do. That's just Netflix and chill. What if God is inviting you in 2021 to establish some guardrails on your time? You know, we live in a culture where most people are dying for a word of encouragement of any kind. What if every Friday at 3 p.m. you put on your calendar, here's the 30-minute block in my week where I let the Spirit of God direct me to a specific person that I've interacted with in the last month, and I'm going to write a little card of encouragement, or I'm going to just make a phone call, or I'm going to send a text. Do you realize that that little guardrail, that little alarm on your phone, that insignificant 30 minutes at 3 p.m. on Friday would result in at least, if not more, 52 acts of life-giving encouragement by the end of this year, that could change the course of somebody's journey for, for the rest of their lives. You have no idea what little act of obedience prompted by a wise guardrail could do to redeem the time. He goes on, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Recently, we had the privilege to adopt a, a one-year-old dog. And we're working on some training. He's already pretty well trained, but, you know, you want to teach him tricks. So imagine if I looked at my dog and I said, juggle. 
He's got one blue eye and one brown eye, and when he's confused, he kind of cocks his head. That's what you'd get. You'd be like, okay, he doesn't know how to juggle. And then I said, understand. He'd be even more confused. And so it seems super weird that the Apostle Paul would say, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. How does he get away with telling us in a command form, in Greek it's called the imperative form. Greek doesn't have exclamation marks. It's, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. He said, hey, look, stop being foolish and simple-minded. Understand what the Lord's will is. How does he get away with that? You can't just command someone to get it. That would be like the worst type of teacher. You know, your algebra teacher, you raise your hand, I don't get it, and he's like, get it. <laughs> you can't do that. Paul is writing to believers, people who have accepted the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ has forgiven them, has reconciled a broken relationship with their creator. Now, the good news about that is twofold. It's not only that when you die, when you pass through death's door, you live with the creator and all those who love him forever in a perfectly shaped new heavens and new earth that makes this place pale by comparison. That's heaven and that's the best news of all. But there's another part of the good news. It's that the Holy Spirit of God, the very spirit that breathed life into you, comes to live in you, moves into your soul in a very unique way. Now, non-believers, before you are at the stage where you accept the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, you still have a version of this. It's called your conscience, right? And this trips up all of us at one point before we're a believer. We're about to do something that we kind of know is wrong, but really we're just living for ourselves and doing what is right in our own eyes. But it gets annoying to have this little thing on your shoulder that say, should you really do that? And so that is why Christians are not the only moral people on this planet. A lot of people who are not Christians do a lot of good for this world because they are endowed by their creator with a conscience. But when you become a Christian, your conscience goes to basic training. It becomes further articulated. This is why the most miserable people on earth are Christians who are purposely trying to quiet the voice of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Because the sin that they once enjoyed isn't nearly as fun because the Holy Spirit is always saying, are you sure you want to do that with your body? Do you really think that's the wise way to go? Do you really think this relationship will honor God? I mean, you've been there, haven't you, Christian? You're about to do something. It's not like morally a sin per se, but the Spirit is saying, uh, 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 are you sure? Or you're about to do something that is totally not a sin. It's totally fine to do. You're just on your way to play golf or something. And it's like the Spirit is saying, what if instead of doing that with your day, you did this? And you're like, but I really like golf, so I think I'm going to do this. And you have that moment. Paul knows that the people he's writing to are filled with the Holy Spirit. They have this internal mechanism that whispers to them. Even when we try to silence that mechanism, it's still there. And he's saying, don't be foolish. He's pleading pastorally, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. A better English translation may be, come on, face up to the fact you know what the right thing to do is. You know where you're flirting with disaster, Christian. You know where you've had a few narrow misses and the right thing to do would 
put up a guardrail even if you don't want to? You know you need to forgive that person. You know that this has been a chronic area of rebellion for a long time and you're getting sick of it. That's what he's saying. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. It's not about right and wrong all the time. Wisdom, foolishness. Making the most of every opportunity. Live intentionally every moment of the day. Because the days are evil, we're in a spiritual combat zone. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Face up to what you know is true deep in your heart because the Holy Spirit told you that. Fourth and finally, he gives an example of a particular guardrail that was very relevant in his day and age, and I would say is relevant in our day and age. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In the ancient world, it was tough to quench your thirst. Why? They didn't understand bacteria very well, and water left stagnant for too long had a way of giving you very unpleasant diarrhea and potentially killing you. And so what they did know is if you just drank plain water, there is a very high likelihood that you'd die. And so how did they fix that before they had water purification infiltration systems? Well, they added wine to the water. So what everybody drank was some version of watery wine, not probably a massive alcohol content, but enough to kill the goobers in there. And so you can imagine this would cause problems it would be very easy to turn just a glass of water that you're just trying to quench your thirst on a hot, arid day in the ancient Near East into like 10 glasses of water if you wanted to, saying you're thirsty and no one's going to mind because that's what we drink. And all of a sudden, you'll notice the inebriation of your brain. That's what alcohol does to you. It deadens your senses. It makes you less able to be in control of your decision-making. And he's saying... It's not that that's a sin if you accidentally get into that. You've got to drink water. It's just, think about what it leads to. And he uses this very interesting word called debauchery. Debauchery in English means sexual sin for the most part. It's got a robust meaning in Greek that means that plus a little more. It's basically any time I hand the car keys of my autonomous personhood over to something other than the Holy Spirit. Friends, we have found out how to drink water without having to add alcohol in it. But do you know that 90% of all Americans drink alcohol? Even though we don't need to. And I'm not condemning anyone for drinking alcohol. I don't even think Paul is. What he's saying is there are things in life that you need to be careful of, not because they are so evil in and of themselves, but it's what they lead to, you see. And in a room this size, can you really tell me that there aren't dozens of us that say, oh, how I wish my mom or dad would have had the guardrail of not getting drunk. Not because getting drunk was so bad, but what it led to was so bad. Oh, how I wish that my ex-husband or ex-wife would have had that guardrail or even a stronger guardrail. And some of us, statistically speaking, will need to admit we need that guardrail. The Apostle Paul knows 
what it's like to be a human being and to struggle in an environment that wants to throw us off course, that wants to get us to drive off a cliff. And he, and I believe more importantly, the spirit of God through God's word, they're inviting Mercy Road Church and you are part of it. They're inviting every person watching online, even if you don't live in this country, into a, a 2021 with guardrails. My wife is the more disciplined of the two in the marriage. And oh, a few years ago, she came up with this creative idea. She didn't say it like this, but this is kind of what I heard. Hey, what would you think if we took every January and we, we took away everything that you enjoy in life? <laughs> I think she said it differently, but that's what I heard. And I said, say more about that. She said, well, you know how you like the tortilla chips, big guy? You know, we wouldn't eat those or any of the processed food. And I said, for the whole January. She said, yeah. Okay. She said, and you know how I like Coca-Cola? We wouldn't have any soda. And I thought, Whew, I'm not really a, a soda guy. Sure. You know how you like to have a beer from time to time? There'd be no alcohol. Oh, okay. You know how you, you kind of have a sweet tooth? Yeah, no sweets. You know how you, you need a coffee in the morning? And I said, stop. <laughs> she said, all right, you can have one coffee in the morning. But it's called clean eating. It's knocking out all the junk in the diet just to kind of start the year in a healthy mindset and just to make sure that may, maybe habits we've gotten in of indulgence or excess or lack of healthy sustenance, they're reset. And I, I reluctantly went through with that, and, and I didn't like it the first few days. I didn't like it the day or so after that, but, but after about a week, I felt really great. I was so grateful for that guardrail that I asked for it the next year. Now, the third year, she went crazy and asked me to do a whole 30, which is like a Spartan version of that, where you can eat like vegetables and maybe some fruit. And I was so good at whole 30, I finished in 26 days. But, but here's an example of a guardrail that, that my wife has, has, you know, respectfully suggested we do because you can't impose your guardrails on other people, but you sure can invite them. And that's what I'd like to do for you. What would it look like if you did something similar? Well, pastor, it's already the 3rd of January. It wouldn't count. I wouldn't have the full guard. It doesn't work like that, right? It, make it a 10-day guardrail, a reset, or it could be something else. You see, we say this all the time at Mercy Road, and I say it because I need to be reminded because I don't like rules. Mike, God doesn't want something from you. He's not trying to take away all your fun in life. He wants something for you. And so when he disciplines you, when he invites you into rhythms of wisdom and discipline and, and setting up guardrails, he's not hurting you. He's helping you. He loves you. Do you believe that? Friends, as we continue through the next few weeks in this journey, my simple prayer is that we would have the wisdom to discern which guardrails need to be put up in our life and the courage to do that and the accountability as well. If you're really at a loss, a close friend, certainly your spouse, maybe your parents, would have some insight. Have the courage 
to, to ask for advice on guardrails. Any of our staff member would love to meet with you and help, help you talk about that. We'll continue to give ideas, but the discussion questions that I would love to leave with you between this Sunday and next Sunday are simply this. Where do you need to start? What is it you need to face up to in 2021? Where are you driving dangerously close to the edge on, flirting with disaster? After all, nobody plans to wreck their life, their relationships, their health, or their finances, just as nobody gets in their vehicle planning to wreck their vehicle. We just don't plan not to. In this series, we're going to learn how to establish healthy guardrails for our good and God's glory. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for Ephesians 5, 15 through 18, thank you for the Apostle Paul's words to us so many hundreds of years later. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. You don't want something from us. You want something for us, but you do want our lives to be surrendered to you. Help us to do that. I pray for anybody who, who's heard this message and they feel shame or an unhealthy obsession with regrets of the past. Would you give them by your grace and through your spirit the ability to not think about the past, but rather think about the glorious future you want for them as they take the next faithful step. In Jesus' name, amen.